Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. All right, just rewind for a minute. Rewind to this time last year. Yeah, rewind to the beginning of 2022, and you're looking at all that's going to happen in the next uh, 12 months. What didn't you see coming? What surprised you in 2022? You know, in January of 2022, I didn't see that our city was going to flood in February. It didn't have a huge impact on me. It did have an impact on the Circums and a bunch of other families uh, around uh, our city. But maybe there was another disaster that happened, whether it was a small disaster in your family or whether it was a global disaster that actually shook you to the core, really impacted you. It shook your foundations. In, uh, in January, I couldn't see, I didn't know that I'd get COVID in March. First time I got COVID, and I'm very, very thankful. I was only sick for uh, a few days. I know others were sick um, in much more significant ways. And some of us received medical diagnoses in the last 12 months we didn't see coming, and it shook us uh, to the core. Who's hoping never to do another rat test in their entire life? <laughs> Me too. You know, in, uh, in January, I uh, didn't see that New South Wales would lose a state of origin again in July. I, sh- I should have seen it. I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, but, but I was. I thought this was uh, our year. And I'm sure that a football match didn't really shake any of us to the core. But maybe you did suffer a loss in your family or in your finances or in some aspect of your life. And it, it kind of shook you, shook your faith. You just kind of weren't sure how and why is this happening. In January, I couldn't see, I didn't know that I'd become a grandpa again in uh, August. And really exciting. Really time of great joy. And maybe some of you in the last 12 months have had really uh, great Uh, things that surprised you, but they brought you great joy uh, in your relationships. And others of us in our families have suffered uh, loss and heartache and grief. And those things can shake us uh, to the core. And in January, I didn't see, I didn't know that uh, we would say a sad farewell to our queen of 70 years and we would end the year with a king. And that didn't really shake me to the core. It was quite sad. She's been the queen my entire life, and I think she served God and the Commonwealth uh, with dignity and with grace and with wisdom. But maybe we're looking at other political or global events that happened in the last 12 months, and they've just caused us some anxiety. They've shaken us to the core. You know, as we stand on the precipice of a new year, we stand in January 2023, We've got 12 months ahead of us and we don't know all that's going to happen. We can't control every event. There will be storms that unsettle you this year. There will be disasters that shake you. There'll be events that cause uncertainty in your heart in 2023 that you can't see right now. Happy New Year. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight to receive that good news? Well, there is good news. I want to read a psalm 
that uh, King David wrote a long, long time ago, 3,000 years ago, in a time where he's obviously going through some significant loss or grief or chaos. Psalm 16, if you've got a Bible there. And there's one particular verse I want to focus on, uh, but uh, we're going to look at the whole verse uh, tonight. Psalm 16, it says, A mitkam of David. No one really knows what a mitkam is. Some people think it means teaching, a teaching psalm. Some people think it means mystery. It's kind of, it reveals something of the mystery of God. It, it actually. It says what? A musical term. Some people think it's a musical term. No, but nobody's, and it is a musical term, but no, nobody's really sure what it actually means or what the musical term uh, denotes. And so it says this, verse 1, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. So David is a guy who went through significant geopolitical disasters. He's a guy who went through significant loss in his family. He's a guy that had civil unrest in his, his nation. He had internal, uh, international pressures coming uh, against him. Sometimes he suffered great loss because of his own sin and sometimes he suffered great loss because of the sins of others. We're not sure what he's going through here right now, but he's obviously in a time of chaos. And he says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. This is the verse really I want to focus on tonight. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let me just read verse 8 again in a different translation. In the ESV, it says, I set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I set the Lord always before me. As I said before, you can't control all of the events this year, but you can set the Lord always before you. You can't see all of the storms that will unsettle you this year but you can set the Lord always before you. you. You can't control every disaster around you and around our world that might shake you to the core this year, but you can set the Lord always before you. And this is really important. What we set before us is what we will become. Now, all of us right now, if we wanted to, we could pull out this little screen and we could look up how much we've set this before us in the last 24 hours. You can check your screen time. And it's scary. Even for an old codger like me, it's scary when I look at how much I've set this before me. And if you set social media constantly before you, 
You'll become whatever the algorithm wants you to become. It's the way you'll start to think and the way you start to feel. For many of us have got our work on this screen. And if we set our work before us always, we'll become weary in body, mind and soul over time. We just weren't designed to live like that. You can get a slightly bigger screen normally and you can set Netflix always before you. And over time, you'll start to take on the values of that which you are watching. Any Yellowstone fans in the room? Come on, be, be honest. I'm the only one. As you can tell, as you can tell, you start to become what you set before you. You start to dress like a cowboy. And if I, if I had my way, I'd walk in here with a shotgun. I'd just kind of boss people around. You know, I want to be John Dutton. If you set it before you, don't watch Yellowstone. It's not good for you. You're, you're dressed like this. <laughs> but what you set before you is what you will become. Every news channel we scroll along on this thing has got a bias. And you're just deciding which bias you want to become. Now, I'm not saying we should just throw these things in the bin. Obviously, I've got one. But, but we live in a world of digital distraction. And if we're not careful, and if we don't filter what it is that we set before us, over time, we will become what's in front of us. I want to encourage you tonight, at the beginning of 2023, what is it that you're setting before you? Now, David knows that what he sets before him, he will become. He says some stuff that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense in our culture, uh, but, but he says, um, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. We, we can't understand that, except often our gods, you know, may not be uh, big statues that we bow down to. There may be other things that we look to for escape, for satisfaction, for provision. He says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. He's not saying here God is going to punish them. He's just saying running after lifeless pursuits will not give life, but it will lead to suffering. He says, I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. I won't even go near them. I won't talk about them. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense saying I will not pour out libations of blood. Not many of us here in the room were tempted this week to sacrifice our firstborn goat to Moloch. That probably wasn't your greatest temptation this week. If it was, come down the front at the end, we'll pray for you like everybody else. But in David's time, in his culture, it was what people were sacrificing to. It was what people were pouring out their time and attention to. They were pouring out their hearts and they were sacrificing their animals, their time, their attention, their money to lifeless gods. And David here is saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not just going to do what the rest of the culture is doing. I'm not just going to go with the flow. I'm not going to give my time and attention to lifeless pursuits. And so in our culture, we might say, I'm not, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm not going to give all of my time and attention to lifeless pursuits. I'm not going to pour out. I'm not going to sacrifice my life 
to what can never satisfy, to, to, to what can never, you know, give me what it promises. I'm not going to escape into a world of fantasy by binge watching. I'm not going to endlessly just scroll my life away on social media. Nor am I going to hide in work and hide from relationships and becoming the person that God really wants me to become. What you set before you is what you will become. David said, whatever's happening around me and whatever comes against me, I've already decided. I've already determined. I'm going to set the Lord before me always. All right, I want to get really, really practical for a minute. How do we set the Lord before us in 2023? Five things I want to encourage us to set. I'd really encourage you to put this in your phone, make it really, really practical. It's probably the most, I don't know, this might not be true. I was going to say it might be the most practical message I preached this year. I don't know if that's true. But there's um, some really practical things I'd love you to put in place. I'm going to put an image up. You've got to tell me what it is that you think we should set. Set a... And if someone said an alarm, my wife said time, and she gets the gold star today. Set a time. I say this because if you do not set a time to be with the Lord, to sit with the Lord, it will get squeezed out every time. I promise you. If you do not set a time, who likes getting up at five in the morning to read their Bible? Hand up. There'll be some of you. Some of us are morning people. There's a couple. Okay. Six. Whose time with God is six? Seven. Who needs a PM on the end? To, yeah, okay. There's a whole, whole bunch of you. That's why you're at the 5 PM service. And there's no right or wrong. Don't let anyone tell you there's a right or a wrong. What I'm saying is, if you want to set the Lord before you in 2023, you've got to set a time, else that time will get squeezed out. Put it in your phone tonight. Just decide this is my time to be with the Lord. Second thing, we need to set, set a, a place. You know, we, we, we set a place because we actually want to be nourished both physically and relationally. If we just want to keep our body going, we, uh, we, we just eat on the run. We snack on the run. But to actually sit down at a restaurant or sit down at a family table, we're saying we don't just want to be nourished physically, but we want to be nourished relationally. David says in this psalm, he says, Lord, you're my portion. You've you've given me something to eat and you're my cup. He says, you feed me spiritually. You nourish my soul. In Psalm 23, he says it even clearer. He says, you prepare, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I'm going through storms that unsettle me, when I'm going through really difficult times, you've got all I need to nourish my soul. I want to encourage you, like setting a place at a restaurant or a nice family table, find a place you really enjoy to be with God. A place that you go to often. A place that you just look forward to going to. It might be a comfy chair. It might be a tree you sit under. It might be a a coffee shop that you love. It might be a really uncomfortable milk crate. 
That's what I did for nearly 20 years because it kept me awake while I was sitting with God. These days I'm not in the same place all the time and so my place is just anywhere by water. Sometimes that's by a dam, sometimes it's by a river, sometimes it's uh, by the ocean. But I just love sitting beside water with God and I look forward to being there. Have you got a place? You got a place you just love going to be with God? You look forward to, to going to set a time, set a place. Thirdly, set a, come on, a witch. I'm going with a path, <laughs> but close. Set, set a path. You see, we walk, along, we walk along a path because we want to enjoy the journey, but normally a path leads to a better or a more beautiful place. And this is what, what David says at the end of this psalm. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. He's talking about a daily walking with God that fills him with joy. He's walking on the path of life. He's filled with joy, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He's saying, I, I enjoy who you are and what you're giving me now, but I know I'm going to enjoy it forever. Set, set a path. My path for, uh, from here to Easter is I'm going to read through the Gospel of John and just soap journal every day. I don't always do this, but uh, we're preaching through the big I am statements of, about Jesus in the Gospel of John uh, around Easter. And I just want to get to Easter really excited about sharing that with people and pointing other people to Jesus. And so every day I just uh, I soap journal. For those of you who haven't soaped journal before, soap, S-O-A-P, just stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. I just read through John till I get to a bit where I feel like Jesus is speaking to me. I just write that Scripture out word for word. It slows me down, helps me to meditate on God's Word. O, observation. What's happening here? What's Jesus teaching? What's He saying? What's He doing? A, application. Jesus, what do you want me to do? What are you saying to me that I need to surrender to? I need to put into action in some way. And P is prayer. Jesus, help me. Help me to actually become that person. Once again, find something you really enjoy. I really enjoy it because I've got this... Excuse me. I've got this leather-bound journal. I really like the feel of it. I really like the look of it. And I'm just committed to writing one A5 page every day. It's really important for someone who's very task-focused, loves activating and uh, being part of things all the time. just helps me to slow down. I'm not saying everyone should do that. I'm just saying, what's your path? Don't set a time and then a place and then work out and say, God, what am I going to do? Set a path that you're going to go down. version app's got a whole heap of Bible reading uh, plans in there that you can, if you want to go to Kuron, get something in paper, millions of things there. Just set a path. Set a time, set a place, set a path. Fourth, getting a little bit harder. Set a... Atmosphere. atmosphere. Now, you're good at this, but not right. Playlist. Playlist, close. Piano, we got some P's happening, close. Uh, practice, rhythm, set a practice of praise. I'll put you out in misery. Set a practice 
of praise. Let me unpack what I mean by this. Paul, David knows how to do this. Of all people, living or dead, I'm not sure anybody else knew how to set a practice of praise better than David. We practice something, whatever it is, whether it's practicing piano, practicing pole fishing, you know, practicing um, pyramid dancing, whatever else starts with P. You know, whatever it is you want to, whatever, <laughs> that's not a thing. It's not a thing. What, whatever it is, whatever it is you want to get good at, you want to become second nature, you practice until it becomes second nature. All right. This is what David's saying about praise. He, he writes 73 psalms of praise. In the, the psalm Andrew read before, he says, I praise you constantly. Your praise continually fills my mouth. In Psalm 119, he says, I praise you seven times a day. Seven times a day I stop and praise you. In, in this psalm, he says, I, uh, I will praise the Lord who counsels me, so even at night my heart instructs me. He, he's saying, I want to praise you so regularly during the day that even at night you're in my heart and you're in my mind. You never leave me. Brother Lawrence, uh, someone wrote a book about his teachings called Practicing the Presence of God. He was a man with quite a menial job. He washed up for many, many years in a monastery, washing uh, dishes. And what he learned to do while he was washing dishes was to actually make it a way of giving praise to God and receiving the love of God. Now, not many of us here wash dishes all that often anymore. And when I stack the dishwasher, I receive absolutely no praise. Apparently, I've been doing it wrong for 29 years. I was kind of hoping if I did it wrong long enough, Susan would say, you don't have to do it anymore. But I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it wrong. What I say is just, just pick something that you do regularly every day and just tie praise to it. So my example is I drink far too much coffee. Every time I pour a cup of coffee and drink a cup of coffee, for me, I just choose to praise. I choose to tell God how good he is and it just keeps him in my mind and in my heart. For you, it might be watering plants. It, it might be every time you drink a cup of clean water. That's a reason to praise in itself. It, it might be uh, you know, every, every time you eat a Freddo frog. I, I don't know what it is, but you know, pick something that you do regularly every day and so that you're praising through the day. And like David, even at night, he's in your mind and he's in your heart. Praise just becomes second nature. Last one. This is where I got the pyramid dancing from. But... Uh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Dave, let's not go into the dancing thing again. I'm not even going to get you to guess, actually. This, this is the last one. Set the right people in place. Set the right people in place. Really, really important that you've got the right people around you. The beginning of the year, who are you going to surround yourself with? That's my family. We have a lot of joy together and we also support one another a lot. We sat around a table. It's one of our daughter's uh, birthdays today and we sat around a table. We just told her how much we loved her. All of us in our own uh, different ways. A really special thing in our family. It brings lots of joy and we support one another in the journey. It's what, it's what God says about the church. 
That's the type of family we're supposed to be. We're supposed to support one another, bring joy to one another, set the right people in place. If you haven't joined a life group, get into a life group. If you want a group of three people to pray for, find some people. Set it in place. You can't control all these going to happen around you and in your life this year. But you can set the Lord always before you. And David says here, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This whole right hand thing, it's all the way through the Bible. It's about 150, 160 times it talks about the right hand. You know how many times it talks about the left hand? Zero. God doesn't like left-handers. Put your hand up if you're left-handed. Just put it up nice and high. Weirdo. <laughs> put your hand up if you're kind of ambi or multidextrous like me. I, uh, I bowl right-handed, bat left-handed. I uh, play tennis right-handed, golf left-handed. I surf left-footed. I kick right-footed. You know, sometimes God loves me, sometimes he doesn't. Uh, it's Olivia, it's got nothing to do with uh, whether you're left or right-handed. But time and time again, the Bible talks about the right hand because it's very important in ancient culture. Whatever or whoever was at your right hand was your source of ultimate power and strength. So when a king went out to battle, he had his general at his right hand. When soldiers went into battle, they had their sword in their right hand. There's a, a picture of your ultimate power and strength. And David here is saying, I'm confident. I'm confident God's at my right hand. He's for me. He's fighting for me. There's a, there's a pattern in this psalm. In, uh, in, in, in verses uh, 1 to 3, uh, 1 to 4 actually, David uh, talks about it, that God is a God of provision and protection. But then in verses 5 to 6, he actually talks about his experience of God's provision and protection. And then in verses 7 and 8, he says, God is my guide and he's my guard. And then in verses 9 to 11, he says, this is how God's guided me. And this is how he's guarded me. There's this link between confidence in God and the experience of faith. Let me make it really, really simple and plain for us tonight because this might pinpoint for us what it is that God wants to get us more confident in, his character, okay? If you've tuned out and you're still thinking about places and pyramid dancing, just just come back uh, to me just for a moment. If, If you do not have confidence in the goodness of God, your experience of faith will not be good. You'll never be sure whether you've been good enough. When you have confidence in the goodness of God, your experience of God will be really good. You'll actually enjoy going to that place. If you are confident in the love of God, your experience of faith in God will be incredibly loving. Your heart will be full. But if you're not confident in the love of God, Your experience of faith will be loveless. It will be dry and barren. You'll always just be performing, hoping that you've done enough. If you have confidence in the power of God, the almighty power of God, 
Your experience of faith will be powerful. You'll have done things you just cannot comprehend. But if you've got no confidence in the power of God, then your experience of God will be powerless. It will be limp. Be kind of like, what am I really doing this for? I could go on and on. One more. If you have confidence in the peace of God, peace that passes understanding, your experience of faith will be peace-filled. You'll just be at ease with God. But if you've got no confidence in the peace of God, your experience of faith will be anxious, be riddled with anxiety. You could keep going on and on. This is what David's saying through this psalm. When you're confident in the character of God, your experience of faith will reflect it. There's a key to seeing this happen, I think, in verse 3. Verse 3, no, sorry, verse 2. You don't see it really clearly in the English, but you see it really clearly in the Hebrew. David says, uh, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. It kind of sounds innocuous and it's pretty tautology. It's like, say to the Lord, you are my Lord. In the Hebrew, they're two different words. That first one, the reason it's in all capitals in your English Bible is it's the word Yahweh. It's the name that the, the people of Israel wouldn't say. It's kind of like the sovereign, almighty, untouchable God. David says, you, Yahweh, are my Adonai. You're my master. Completely different word. He makes it personal. You've become my master. I surrendered completely to you because I trust your character. You see, we set the Lord always before us because what we set before us we will become. We also set the Lord before us because we're always before him. And he's looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. Great verse, 2 Chronicles 16. says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. As we're confident in his character and we surrender to him, he gives us strength. That's why David could say, I set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I know he's for me and not against me. I will not be shaken. There's incredible words just at the end of this uh, psalm. It says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. They're, They're big words. He says, I'm so confident in God. I'll never see the realm of the dead. My body will never decay. That's an incredible confidence in God. If you really had that confidence that death had no hold over you, what could shake you? As Susan and I had the joy of celebrating our 50th birthdays in the UK uh, last November and uh, some friends of ours uh, bought us some tickets while we were there to watch the Wallabies play Wales. And I'm a big rugby fan and uh, always wanted to go to Cardiff Arms Park to watch uh, the rugby. So great experience. We loved it. 15 minutes to go. The Aussies are down by 21 points. And Susan turned to me and said, we don't have a hope, do we? 
And I said, nope. I had no confidence. No confidence we could come back from 21 points down. But in the next 10 minutes, they scored two tries. And there was now one try in it. And we're sitting on the edge of our seats. You know, we're, uh, we're hurling abuse at the ref. Because, you know, no one knows we're pastors in Wales. And we're... <laughs> Every time, you know, every time the Wallabies dropped the ball, you know, this angst in me, oh, I could have caught that 35 years ago. But then in the last 60 seconds to go, the Wallabies scored again and got in front for the first time in the match. But then as they kicked off, Wales got the ball and got down within one metre of the Wallaby line. The whole way through the game, whenever they got that close to the line, they either scored a trial, they kicked a penalty goal. We are sitting on the edge of our seats, just anxiously counting down those last 60 seconds until that whistle blew. And then the whistle blew. And Susan and I and seven other people in a stadium of 80,000 people, we are on our feet, you know, cheering this miraculous victory that had just happened. Couldn't believe it. But as followers of Jesus, we're not sitting on the edge of our seats waiting for a miraculous victory. We're not hanging on every little mistake and every bad decision worried that it's going to cost us the future. We already know a miraculous victory has been won. Psalm 16 is one of a few messianic psalms. It means David is prophetically speaking of the future of Jesus who was to come but would not come for another thousand years. But, but as Peter preaches the gospel of, of Jesus Christ for the first time in history, just, you know, days after, you know, Jesus, you know, has been crucified on a cross, he says this. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because listen to this, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus Christ, fully man. And so the only one, you know, who could actually perfectly fulfill the law on behalf of all mankind, but also fully God, the only one that could forgive the sin that was committed against God. On that cross, he put your sins and he put my sins to death. But three days later, when they went, women went looking to anoint his dead body, he was not there. The angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Jesus Christ went through death and came out the other side alive. And we are not waiting for a final whistle. The Bible tells us we are waiting for a final trumpet call. There will be a day when Jesus comes again. But this is the good news. We already know the miraculous victory has been won. For everyone in, for, with faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven on that cross. 
For everyone who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and He's been raised from the dead will be raised. It's the only prerequisite that we actually repent of our sin and we confess our faith and put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord because He rose from the dead. And we know that death has got no ultimate hold over our lives. What can shake us? What can shake us? You see, we set the Lord always before us because what we set before us, we will become. We set the Lord always before us because we're always before Him. He's looking to give you strength in that storm that unsettles you. And we set the Lord always before us because one day, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, it'll be a good day. It'll be a good day. But if you choose to reject what Jesus has done for you, the Bible says it'll be a day of intense regret because you'll have to make amends for your own sin. It's the most important choice we can make in this world. Will we put our faith in the one who has gone through death and has come out the other side? Can I encourage you tonight, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, please come and talk to myself, talk to Andrew, come and do Alpha this year. Most important decision you'll ever make. I want to encourage you in 2023, set the Lord always before you. With Him at your right hand, you will not be shaken. It's important for you, but it's also important for the people around you. Because they're going to see Jesus in you. Why don't we stand together tonight? We're going to sing an old song, not quite as old as Psalm 16. That is the psalm. I forgot to read it before. It is the psalm that Peter quotes when he preaches the gospel. He, he quotes that psalm a thousand years after David wrote it. So we have more confidence tonight than David could possibly have had because we've seen Jesus come and defeat sin and death. We're going to sing this old song. It just simply says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in, into His wonderful face. Things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His goodness and grace. I want to encourage you to do that. Close your eyes. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.